Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Ranch Show on AM 770 KTTH, streaming on the KTTH smartphone app. The University of Washington is telling us that secondhand smoke is unsafe to be around, and yet fentanyl and meth on a bus, oh, it's all good. Not that big of a deal. That is what's trending. What's trending? The drug crisis. This is, in a lot of ways, a long-awaited study, a first-of-its-kind study, apparently. It's out from the UW. And it studied the impact of drug use on metro, sound transit, community transit, Everett Transit, TriMet, all of whom sponsored, those agencies sponsored this UW research. And it was commissioned after bus drivers and train operators said, hey, uh, we're feeling sick on the job because of all the fentanyl smoke and God knows what else they're doing on these buses. We can see it. We can smell it. I'm feeling dizzy. I'm feeling a little lightheaded. Feeling maybe a little nauseous. And this is going on to the point where, hey, it's becoming a union-involved health issue. And so they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Tell us again what's going on. I just, I hate it. He was sitting there smoking that stuff off of foil and the straw. And it was just giving me a headache. I smelt it. It's terrible. So they're all like, I'm not sure we agree with that because I'm told by King County Public Health that secondhand fentanyl smoke is no big deal. I mean, stay away from the secondhand smoke because that kills, causes cancer and it'll kill you. In fact, we're only going to allow you to smoke outdoors in designated areas and we're going to keep you as far away from everybody else as possible because cigarettes are bad. However, fentanyl, eh, we think you're lying. So let's get a study that backs up exactly what we told you to dismiss your concerns to begin with, and that's exactly what happened. And it is a study that is as laughable as it is dangerous. And in this analysis, they looked at what they just called drug smoke because it's coming from different drugs, meth and fentanyl, for example. And they took residue samples collected on these transit vehicles. And according to the health officials, they say the levels that were found are, quote, extremely low. And that riding transit remains safe. So the folks who operate transit got a study that came back and said all of that smoking that's being done on the bus, on the train, not that big of a deal. And that you should continue to use transit. Okay. Thank you. I, I seriously thank you. They they found a study that backs up what they said before and just so happens to take away all kind of legal liability away from the agencies for not protecting the staff, for not protecting the people who use it. And of course, this is all meant to normalize drug use. It's already become a normal thing to experience, which was a point that this passenger made to Como TV. It's kind of actually ridiculous about how much it goes on, and it's completely normal, you know? Nobody really cares about it. It's completely normal. No one cares. No, no, I wouldn't say no one cares. We just know we can't do anything about it. I think most people do, in fact, care. Now, I suppose the transit cult members, the ones who are, like, living and breathing transit and shame anyone who doesn't, you know, leave their home while riding a bike to the nearest transit station, then taking the sound transit train to downtown Seattle so then they can hop on a bus and take that to work. And then, of course, at some point finding a reason to get on one of those scooters. They don't really care because they pretend that this isn't an issue. And it, it it is our privilege to be able to take transit. 
But the rest of us do care. And while I I find this study to be incredibly dubious because they only looked at 63 buses and 26 trains, which I think is a really small sample size. But there was a piece of data from this that is so instructive as to how bad the crisis is when it comes to drugs and how poorly managed these transit agencies truly are. Of the buses, of the 63 buses that they looked at, 48% had quantifiable fentanyl and 100% had quantifiable meth. Let me say that one more time. They looked at 63 buses and 100% of them, every single bus, had quantifiable meth on the surface of some part of that bus. 48% at 30 buses had quantifiable fentanyl. Now, when they looked at trains, you had 27% fentanyl. 92% 92% meth. That ain't good. Just throwing that out there. It's not good. But don't worry. It's safe. Bring your kids. Bring them over. Oh, why don't you lick a seat while you're at it? You set, set up a, a picnic on, on the floor. Oh, it's all good. Don't worry. See that railing over there? You see that railing over there where you're supposed to hang on to it? You see that? I see it. Lick it. You'll be fine. Okay. I mean, you might get a contact high according to the data, but you will be fine. It's okay. Sounds fun. Why are they doing this? This is – it is so – seriously, it's almost laughable if it wasn't so sad and tragic because this is all about the harm reduction advocates trying to normalize drug use. Harm reduction advocates – harm reduction means something very simple. We're trying to, quote-unquote, reduce the harm associated with drugs. I have an entire chapter in my forthcoming book on this, which, by the way, is coming out in two weeks. It's called What's Killing America. I got paid by Center Street and everything. I hope you'll pre-order it on Amazon, What's Killing America, Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. And I talk a lot about harm reduction because it is a nonsense strategy that ends up killing people under the guise of being compassionate and trying to help Drug addicts just live long enough in order for them to get treatment, except harm reduction advocates do not want them to get treatment. They want them to not feel judged. If they get treatment, they say they'll help. They seldom actually do help and they seldom actually ask for help. So it works perfectly from a harm reduction model because they just want you to continue using. They believe in legalized drugs. And you, by the way, can hold that position. I just don't think maybe you should be a public health official holding that view. Because you're supposed to know better that drugs will kill these individuals, that there's no healthy way to take illicit substances. Just choosing to shoot up or smoke whatever it is you want at a park bench. Yeah, that's not safe. No matter what some harm reduction advocate will tell you. But the problem is now those harm reduction advocates at public health, now the far to the left agency managers over at Sound Transit and Metro and TriMet, all those things. Now they can just sit back and say, hey, we've got a study that proves you're all are crazy and you're really, you're just, you're, maybe you're a hypochondriac. Oh, you're, you're sick because of the fentanyl? Yeah, look at this study. It says you're wrong. Meanwhile, people continue to get sick. But you got this study and now all it gives them is 
a pass to continue to basically do nothing. Now, if they were ever to be sued over any of this, hey, look at this study. It said, actually, it's fine. You're fine. It's safe. Look, it came from the UW. And I went to the UW, and they have a whole big website about the dangers of secondhand smoke, including when you're exposed to it outdoors. I thought that that was rather ironic, that you're telling me that secondhand cigarette smoke, bad, going to kill you. Fentanyl, meth, eh, meh, eh, not a big deal. Now, what does the union do in response to this? Because you got the union president. His name is Ken Price. He also spoke with Como TV. Saying, look, this is happening all the time. It's happening more at night, but it's happening a lot. When you get the late night routes, uh, that's when it's happening more and more. Perhaps it's happening, quote unquote, more and more. I will say this. I have only seen this kind of drug use on buses that I've been on in the morning. I don't think I've ever seen one happening at night. I've seen drug addicts, clearly drug addicts, on buses or on sound transit. I generally have only seen them smoking, actually smoking. I've got some photos of it. While on the morning commute, maybe every once in a while in an early afternoon, but that's about it. I only see it in the morning. So if I'm seeing it as often as I am, and consider this, when it comes to the bus, I maybe take two routes <laughs> maybe every once in a while a third but for the most part i'm only on two routes and i'm seeing it all the time not every day but once a month i usually see it and price said that the staff the drivers the operators they shouldn't have to worry about this stuff they're the ones that are out there and you are running a forty thousand pound vehicle amongst a whole bunch of variables just to be thinking to have your mind looking or your eyes looking at the back to see who's smoking fentanyl is is, is a dangerous okay why don't you relax dude because you can also use your nose it's not just about the eyes now i can tell oh yeah now i know what fentanyl smells like how sad is that that i know what fentanyl smells like now at the same time you got the city council in seattle passing a resolution to approve a lid for i-5 Now, the lid, quote unquote, all they're talking about is putting a concrete cover, like an overpass, but just all across the I-5 in Seattle. And we're talking about basically about from the the convention center up basically into the neighborhood we're in, which is Eastlake. Now, in this resolution that the council passed with two members, or I believe it might have been three members uh, not signing Onto it, They said, I'm going to sit this one out. I'm not going to take a stance. I'll just be absent. Don't look at me. Don't ask me to take a position because I probably secretly want it, but I don't want to say it because I know politically it's not very good to oppose this because activists like it. But in this resolution, it said that the city supports efforts to lid I-5 where feasible within the city limits, including but not limited to the area between what I just told you. Now, there was a study that was done that claimed the cost would be about $3 billion, which means the actual cost would be about $74 billion. Now, let's just go with the $3 billion. And by the way, the timeline would be every single person who's listening will have kids who will have died before this actually gets Completed. And I don't mean from like some plague that only impacts children. I mean, they're going to live until they're, I'm not going to go too crazy, 89 years old. We'll give them that the average. They'll all be dead. 
your kids' kids will be dead by the time this is even maybe even started. But they're going to continue to commit resources to this, energy to this. And I want you to think about it. Let's just go with the $3 billion for a moment. What if we use that money? Just imagine this for a moment. Using that money for drug treatment. I know it's kind of crazy because the activists in the area would love us to just buy a ton of clean needles and fentanyl pipes to hand out. And some little tin foil, maybe some booty bumping kits. That's Max's favorite. Buy a lot of those with $3 billion. Like a ton. Oh, my God. You could probably get like $3 billion. Imagine what we could do with that money if we actually put it into addressing a clear crisis that we're currently experiencing instead of addressing something that's not a problem whatsoever, that we just pretend it is because you don't like the fact that there is a freeway through the city of Seattle. You just hate it. I guess you would have preferred it only be on the outskirts of the city, forcing people to drive even longer to get to parts of the city. I guess you want that because, I know, uh, hashtag climate change, even though that actually hurts the climate more than it helps because they're driving more. It is imbecilic to think about what it is the city is even thinking about. I would be embarrassed if I was a city leader talking about this while completely ignoring, and I mean completely ignoring, the crime crisis, the drug crisis, the homelessness crisis, and that intersection where all three of them hit. But please, let's lid the I-5. Oh, my God. Push the button. What's trending in Seattle? Speaking of crises, Seattle just matched last year's 57 homicides. And we are right now on pace to have the highest number of homicides ever in the city of Seattle. That record was 69 homicides back in 1994. And we are on pace to not just meet that, but exceed it. Now, the victim in this case was shot at a homeless encampment in South Seattle. I know I, too, am shocked especially by the South Seattle part, because they're usually very, very, very safe. After all, it's represented by Tammy Morales, the council member who actually supported defund policing. She's a socialist and she doesn't do anything to help. Now, we don't know what led up to the shooting. We haven't received any information on a suspect. Again, my assumption, the suspect is someone who actually lived in the homeless encampment or was someone who was living nearby and homeless. Now, the spokesperson for the SPD, Jadina uh, Jadina Gulpin, says that they need your help. If they're going to solve this, they're going to need your help. We are dedicated to making sure that, again, we are responding to 911 calls and that we do ask the community if you are, you know, witnessing or have information to please give our violent crimes tip line a call to assist with the investigation so that we can locate these individuals who are causing these violent crimes. Now, of course. This is important. This is serious, but it's not shocking to anyone. Part of the reason why they definitely have to lean on you guys is because, and I just got these numbers. This is an exclusive. In fact, I don't even have to say that anymore with, without checking. I, I don't have to check anything because I know no other media outlet covers this. I got the latest separation numbers from the Seattle Police Department. August saw another four officers leave which brings the total separations this year to 72. We lost 72 officers, okay? And we are headed to a point 
in which that number is going to explode because of the number of officers who are up for retirement, who are at retirement age. And during that exact same time period, we only hired five additional recruits, bringing that total, that pathetic, pitiful total to 46. Now, since 2020, the SPD lost about 600 officers. The mayor, who hasn't yet implemented his recruitment and retention plan for the SPD, 70% or so of which he has not either started or he kind of just abandoned. A plan that he announced last July. Not this last July, last year July. That's the funny part here. That's the sad and scary part here. He promised us a plan that, I what was it, by 2025, I'm going to hire the amount of cops we need. We're going to get to 1,400. We have not had a single month in which we have brought on more recruits than we have lost officers. <laughs> Seriously, we have not had a single month. How pathetic is that? And, of course, that just means all of these issues will continue and continue and continue, and we will create more victims. And sometimes they're going to be innocent victims. Sometimes they're gang members killing other gang members, violent homeless people attacking other violent homeless people. But also, it's going to be some kid who's at a park, some couple that's out on date night. And we could sit back, confidently say it didn't have to happen. Because a lot of what we're dealing with, a lot of what we're being exposed to is policy-driven, making these crimes avoidable. We're never going to get to zero, but we can certainly mitigate. We're not. We're almost encouraging. That's how bad it is. Push the button. What's trending on the road? Now, graffiti on I-5, especially around Seattle, not to be too Seattle-focused, but coming into Seattle or going out, I suppose, depending on your perspective, it is as bad as it's ever been. There is graffiti everywhere. WashDOT spokesperson James Poling speaking with Como says, look, get off our back. We're trying. It's hard work to clean it all up. We understand the public's frustration. Our crews are out there working, even though it seems like there might not be removals. We are actually we're removing. I mean, sure, you don't see any of the graffiti being removed. And actually, it only seems like they're adding to the graffiti. But no, trust us. We're, we're doing it. What are the numbers? Hey, trust us. We're cleaning it up. No, no, no. I, I, I trust you. Just what, what are the numbers? The numbers are what the numbers are. Well, isn't putting new graffiti over old graffiti technically cleaning it up? Here's the problem. I know you think you're a, a smart aleck over there, but here's the real issue. Painting over graffiti is graffiti. Well, I'm aware, but that's technically eliminating old graffiti. But it's creating new graffiti, so we can't give you honest well, it's expression. Numbers. We can't give it's you It's artistic hon- expression. It's, what did she say? It was, what did she call it? Something artistic expression. What was it? Unsolicited? Yeah, unsolicited artistic expression. That's what we're calling gang. (laughs) I love this. That is what Teresa Mosqueda, who unfortunately is going to be the next King County Council member. So she's going to bring her tyranny and her chaos to the county. At least we get rid of her on the city level, honestly. But that's what she calls gang graffiti. Unsolicited creative expression. Hey, look at that individual over there. He's doing a lot of unsolicited creative expression on the side of the freeway. 
with vulgarity and that looks like a male appendage next to it. Oh, okay. But trust them, they're they're figuring this all out. There was an incident we think happened in August, kind of mid to late August, in which someone <laughs> operated one of the wash dot lifts that were that was left out by a freeway to then maneuver it so that he could climb up it and then tag a portion of I-5, which I find, in fairness, if you're going to go to that kind of trouble, we should leave that one up for a little bit. I'm, if I'm being totally honest, I find that a little impressive. Because sometimes I do. I think all of us have been in that position where we're looking at graf- How did you do that? Like, that's a big piece of graffiti that's colored in, and it's like 10 feet high. But then one is on a, a sign that isn't even connected to an overpass. Like, how'd you do that? I was looking at some on the 99 bridge the other day, and I was like, how on earth did you even get up there? It's impressive. Right? It is a little bit impressive. I'll give I, you that. I mean, it's it's dangerous, and it's criminal, and I hope you get arrested and go to jail. But it is impressive. I will say that. I will give you those kind of kudos. Washington State Patrol Trooper Rick Johnson said... Hey, I know you want us to make the arrest. The problem is they're not easy to do. And they all head to that location, try to find, you know, someone either tagging or somebody leaving the area. And we we did, we have arrested some in the past, obviously, but obviously not all of them. Yeah, and he, I mean, it is difficult, especially because a lot of this is happening at night, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the early morning, where there's not a whole lot of witnesses there. If only this caused water damage, because then we can go with American Water Damage Restoration, which is a wonderful company sponsoring this hour. See how I I put that in? That was great. You're very talented. I think I am. Not everyone else can do that, but I can. 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages. 1-800-465-8770. When we come back, Jay Inslee with one whopper of a lie on Twitter. Oof. Plus... Speaking of social media, check out my social media channels. I've got a video up brought to you by our friends over at None Better Tax Resolution. You're listening to The Jason Rant Show. Oh, hey there. It's The Jason Rant Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be on Fox News at night later this evening. I'll be on The Bottom Line tomorrow. I'll be on The Faulkner Focus next week. Point is... I go on TV a lot, and I'm very brilliant, witty, I'm extremely handsome, very humble, and if you don't get to watch any of those appearances, you, of course, can check out our social media channels where I post clips. I'm talking about Facebook, Twitter, or X, Truth Social, all those places I'll post. Washington Governor Jay Inslee will soon be former Washington Governor Jay Inslee who will then soon be, what was that guy's name? And I can't wait for that moment. Because this is a guy who is just so dishonest. And it's almost like a mix of insultingly dishonest or maybe trolling in a dishonest. I I don't quite know how to explain it. But he just posted last night, on X, one whopper of a so-called health care message. 
that is so clearly a lie, it begs the question why Seattle media gives him a pass. And I'm going to give you an answer to that. But to understand what's going on, you have to realize it's happening in the context of his embrace of abortion tourism. He's encouraging women, which is the only time he'll define a woman. It's part of an abortion. He's encouraging them to come here from other states like Idaho, any state that has a restriction on abortion. Come here, get your abortions, stay for a Mariners game. Stay at one of our beautiful hotels. It's it's sick and twisted, seriously, because that's the, the way they talk about this. And he does that because it helps him earn some progressive street cred, especially for the folks who forgot he's actually around nationally. People don't think of Jay Inslee ever. But there's this one post I want to bring attention to because it is just brazenly dishonest. He tweeted... Politicians should not dictate the kind of health care patients receive, including abortion care. Providers and patients are free to make those choices for themselves in Washington state. And he posts an article about Idaho and some restrictions on abortion in that state. Politicians should not dictate the kind of health care patients receive. Providers and patients are free to make those choices for themselves in Washington state. That is what the governor said, despite having, within the last year, continued to force state employees to get COVID vaccines in order to keep their jobs under threat of losing their livelihoods. That politician, Jay Inslee, and other politicians like Bob Ferguson, Dow Constantine, Bruce Harrell, said, you have to make this health care decision. Or, I mean, you don't, you don't have to, but you're going to lose your livelihood. You're not going to be able to pay your rent. You're not going to be able to pay a health care bill because we're going to fire you. We're canning you if you don't do what we tell you to do. You better listen to Dr. Inslee. He is no better than what he's accusing the politicians of Idaho as doing. This is an egregiously, verifiably, obviously false statement. So why did he post that? Why did he post that? I have to imagine he knew what he just did when it came to the COVID vaccines. He he didn't forget. He posted because he knows he can get away with it. He knows that he's not really going to get called out by the media. Because Seattle media is nearly always reluctant to criticize him. You've got local reporters who align with his views, who are members of his party. You've got folks in the media who overwhelmingly sided with the vaccine mandates. And they did that even after they knew it wasn't impacting the spread of COVID. And yet some continue to claim that. Some continue to claim it now or imply it now. They haven't changed their views. They don't actually support medical bodily autonomy any more than Inslee. In fact, they probably hold the exact same position on abortion as well. So why would they call Inslee out when they share those beliefs? They're not going to call themselves out. But beyond that, there's something that we've talked about on the show before that I think bears repeating. I think it's important to understand 
anyone out there who's a consumer of news, because you're going to be impacted by this, there is a problem with local media, not just Seattle, local media completely across the country. And I imagine in other countries as well. They have to maintain access to the people that they're covering, the politicians. They have to have access to government agencies. And in fairness to media outlets and media members, they're in kind of tough spots. For their job, they need to have access to politicians. It is a part of their job. They need to be able to, they're expected to be able to get an interview with Inslee or Dow Constantine or Victoria Woodards or whomever. They have to have that. They have to be able to tell their boss, oh, yes, send me to the press conference because they'll call on me. I'm with insert media outlet. There's that expectation. But for that to happen, you have to be on their good side. And we have a lot of Democrats, Inslee included, Bruce Harrell included, who are incredibly thin-skinned and petty and vindictive. Now, I am two of those things. Not thin-skinned. I don't you know, call me what you So want. petty and vindictive? Yes. And thin-skinned? I'm not thin-skinned. Oh. I'm the other two. I'm definitely petty and vindictive. So I can acknowledge this in other people. I can spot it. I know what that looks like. And if you don't report the way that they want you to report, they're going to freeze you out. There have been plenty of local media members, current and past, who have had to experience this. Brandy Cruz has talked about this as it relates to Jay Inslee. She got a little bit too tough during one of the interviews when she was with Fox 13, then Q13. And then all of a sudden... Nope, not giving you any access anymore. And in that case, she wasn't even that hypercritical. <laughs> like she wasn't even asking like exceptionally unfair or tough questions. They were just tough questions, which is their job. They're supposed to do that. But because of the power that Democrats hold in Washington state, they view local media as just a publicity firm, a publicity arm for whatever office they happen to represent. And since so many reporters already act that way without even having to twist their arms, you've got these Democrat lawmakers who have grown more entitled. Now, Republicans, you're not going to get that from not here because they don't have power. So they have to participate when you ask them to. Otherwise, they're not going to get you're not returning their calls. They have to return your calls. Because they don't have enough power in Olympia, they don't have that influence. And when you have total power in a state like the Democrats do, when you have total power in Seattle or King County like the Democrats do, that power means that they can afford to ice some reporter out. Or frankly, even entire outlets. Because they have all these others to choose from. I don't need you, Como. I got King. I don't need you, Fox. I got Cairo. They can do that. And they do do that. Now, many reporters experience this, but because of their ideological bias, they don't really care. They know what's expected and they're willing to go along with it. But there are also some reporters who strive to be fair, who strive to be honest, and they're put in really tough spots. Are they going to be critical 
of a politician when a story demands it, but then lose access? Or will they pull some punches? Will they just promote the Democrat Party line because it'll keep pleasing their bosses to know that they have all of this access to Jay Inslee or whomever? That's tough for some of these folks. If my job was contingent on that, it would be tough for me. I wouldn't lean in. I wouldn't do it. But it would be tough. I'm not going to pretend that I would just be, oh, whatever. We could do my thing. Well, then you're fired. Whatever. I'm standing for my principles. It's not going to be that easy. I'll get to that point, but I'm not going to pretend it's easy. But the thing is, I don't need access to any member of any government agency. Agency. I don't need the governor. I don't need the mayor. I don't need a council member, whether on the county level. I don't need a sheriff. I don't need any of that to do my job. Now, I'd happily interview these people, right? I, I would love to interview Bruce Harrell or Jay Inslee or Dow Constantine or Victoria Woodards. Because, number one, I enjoy talking to people that I disagree with. And because, number two, they're almost never asked any tough question. They're certainly not asked tough questions over the series of like a 10-minute long-form interview or even longer. Every once in a while they do it, but pretty much they avoid that. But if I don't ever interview them, let's say I never interview any of them, and I've never interviewed Bruce Harrell or Jay Inslee or Dow Constantine, I don't care. That's one less politician that I have to deal with trying to squirm out of giving me an answer to a question. Okay. Whatever. If they can't defend their positions, they wouldn't benefit from talking to me or anybody else that might question them. If they were confident, they would come on in a heartbeat. They would talk to conservative media outlets all the time. They would correct us. They would humiliate us. They would appeal to our audience. Because you lose respect for people who get humiliated. That's the truth. Even the ones you truly like are like, oh, ouch. Maybe he or she is not on top of it. They would do that in a heartbeat. But they don't because they can't defend their positions. And even if they thought they could defend their positions, they would have to have respect for the conservative audience in order to even go to a conservative outlet. And they don't have respect for you. Otherwise, they would talk to you. When was the last time a Democrat politician talked to you? I can count them on my hand. One hand. Got Sarah Nelson, who will be on the show tomorrow. She's a Seattle City Councilwoman. You've got Cassie Franklin, a mayor from Everett, Democrat. You've got Jared Mead, a Snohomish County Council member. He was a guest at our Freedom Series. I'll throw in Dana Ralph because she's technically a Democrat. Jim Farrell, technically a Democrat. But I view them kind of apolitical. They'll come on, but that's about it. Mark Mullet. Mark Mullet will come on. State Senator. Yeah, and then what? You think Bob Ferguson ever comes? No. No. They can't defend their positions. But because my show, my content, my forthcoming book is not predicated on access, I get to offer you my honest assessments of anything that we talk about here. Anything that Jay Inslee does or any issue that happens. I'm in a position where I can, without fear of any repercussions, call Jay Inslee out for that ridiculous lie that he posted on Twitter. I get to do that. You don't have to agree with anything I say 
or anything you hear on KTTH radio, but you should be assured that on this show and on this station, you're at least getting our honest position on things. Unburdened by some desire to be part of the Democrat in club or have access to some lazy, boring politician. And I want you to consider that the next time you go to whatever outlet you go to for your news. Ask yourself if they are in a position where they have to rely on that kind of access. And if the answer is yes, it doesn't mean that they're part of the problem. It doesn't mean that they're giving out bad information. But it does mean that there's that pressure on them to do what the Democrat wants them to do. And sometimes they're going to give in. Maybe even subconsciously they'll give in. And that should be a hint to you to maybe check another source. 1-800-465-8770. Speaking of partisan Democrats who are insane. Pramila Jayapal's got a serious problem with her Twitter feed. I take you through it on our weekly video brought to you by your local tax expert and advocate Greg Nunn at Numb Better Tax Resolution. It's online at Facebook.com slash Jason Rance Show. Welcome back to the Jason Rancho. Thank you so much for tuning in on this Thursday, which still feels like a Wednesday. I'm not entirely sure I know how I feel about when I really gained a day in that scenario versus lost one because it's way worse if I was like, oh, it's Friday and like it's Tuesday. So I'm not I'm kind of on the fence. I don't like to be discombobulated. I like you, to you're know still what not caught back up at this point. I feel like by Thursday, it just feels like Thursday again. You're no. back on track. No. Feels like Sunday. That's how bad my Sundays are. Mm. So Van Jones last night, CNN, Talking Head, of course, the former Green Czar, who I do, you know, talk about someone who really was able to bounce back from a controversy because wasn't he a 9-11 truther wasn't that the reason why he had to leave google that real quickly because even i forgot this was so long this was under the obama administration the first time around he had to drop his job as the white house green czar or eco czar whatever his his thing was because he signed on to some petition by a 9-11 truther but now he's considered to be very mainstream and it, it was right uh, yeah so in, in fairness to him i don't know number one if he still holds that view and number two i do find him to be a mainstream democrat voice i don't think he is a fringe democrat i don't agree with his positions and i think sometimes he argues in bad faith but i do think he is you know quote-unquote mainstream and a perfect example of that, of just not towing the, the party line, is on CNN, even CNN is talking about Joe Biden being too old. Even they're talking about this. They're starting shows talking about this. We're even getting some of this on MSNBC, which is obviously bad news for Joe Biden. When Democrats are going after him, when they know he's going to be up against Donald Trump, that means they don't think that he can beat Donald Trump, and they're right. But listen to the way Van Jones talked about this issue on CNN. Joe Biden's like that grandpa that you love, that you believe in, you owe a lot, but you, you, you start to wonder, uh, you know, would, would you give this grandpa a high-stress job for six more years, 
or would you want something else for him? And then, by the way, they start to get really racist at Thanksgiving dinner. And then you kind of egg them on because you think they're going to use a slur. But then your mother looks at you and says, stop it. I know what you're doing. Stop it, Jason. I mean, I, that was a random uh, name I just threw out there. That's what's being talked about. And people are scared to come out and, talk, and say anything about it. But I think it's important for us to have this conversation now. I think this may be the bottom for Joe Biden. He may go up as the economy improves. But right now, the economy is getting better and fears about the economy are getting worse. The economy is getting better on paper. <laughs> And that doesn't mean it translates to everyday life for the average American, okay? When the the economy, quote-unquote, gets better because wages are increasing slightly, if inflation is also increasing, and inflation is increasing, then it doesn't matter wages went up. When you have an interest rate of, what is it, 7.3 or whatever it is, like, that's not good. (laughs) That's not success. But the fact of the matter is that Van Jones on CNN and CNN in general is having conversations in earnest about his age. That means the tide is turning. I legitimately don't think it's going to be Joe Biden as the nominee. I think he's going to end up dropping out. I think it's and this is the wet dream of a Republican. It's going to create fighting between Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris. Smart people realize that Kamala Harris could not govern herself out of a paper bag. And there's no one who listens to anything that Kamala Harris says and comes off as impressed. Wow, that's a really deep thinker. I do think we sometimes say, wow, that person got lost in thought, but not (laughs) in any sort of positive way. They just got lost. And then, of course, you've got Gavin Newsom, who I think, even though he's run California into the garbage bin and people have left California in record numbers second only to New York but he is seen as electable he's photogenic he's clear in his communications he's aggressive and he's young and I think that that plays well but the infighting in the Democrat party is going to be fierce if that becomes a reality because you've got Kamala Harris who is the heir apparent who is a black woman And you are, as a party, going to pick the white dude over the sitting vice president and hope that it doesn't hurt you amongst blacks and women? Really? Especially when they are both, as a demographic, becoming more and more and more open to Republicans? That seems really politically risky, even against Donald Trump. Because remember... I'm not even certain Trump will be the nominee if I was a betting man, which I am, so I will bet it would be him. But it's not a guarantee. We don't know what's going to happen between now and then. Who is very clearly surging right now? Two candidates. Name them. Say Vivek. Vivek. Perfect. And who's the second? Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley. Exactly. Good on you. They're both surging. They're Mm. both doing well. They both came out of the debate with a lot of attention. More positive attention towards Nikki Haley than towards Vivek. And there was a recent poll that came out showing that, again, amongst a certain demographic, you had Nikki Haley beating everybody. It's a small poll. It was one poll. It's not going to mean anything in the long term. But it is starting to show that if they play this right, they can be the nominee over Donald Trump. And their way to winning the nomination is actually really easy. 
Don't go after Donald Trump. Don't alienate Trump voters like Chris Christie is doing and say, I love the guy. He was a great president. Lots of my policies are going to be identical. But the truth is, because of all these legal things, which are so incredibly unfair and shows a politicization of the DOJ, he's not going to be able to win. I can win, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, that not only do I root out all of the corruption within the DOJ, I will pardon him. And I will make sure that the people who went after him, we're going to go after them. And we're going to send a message you can never do this in this country again. If you take on that position and you're a competent candidate and you're otherwise a conservative, I think that that's a winning argument. It's the Jason Ranch Show.